Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. How do you save a Premier League penalty? Well, we've got two of the three greatest of all time to explain it to us. So much to talk about on this week's episode of The Ganga Pod as we also look towards Chelsea against Manchester City and Arsenal against Tottenham. Let's get started. Yeah, hi everyone. Another big week of the Premier League to review and how about it? We thought it would be close this season and five match weeks in. Chelsea, Liverpool, Manchester United all level on 13 points. Chelsea and Liverpool, well, you have to go down to an away goal by Chelsea at Anfield to get the Blues on the top of the table at this stage of the season. And the beauty is, as we talk about match week five on this week's episode of the Gagan Pod, we are leading into a weekend that has Chelsea against Manchester City to kick us off on Saturday night. So much to talk about. David Wiener with you once again to do so. Joined by Michael Bridges, Thomas Sorensen, Mark Schwarzer to do it. Gents, how are we all? Bridgie to you because you're in my top left corner. So I'll start with you at the top of our Zoom. How are you, mate? I'm absolutely fantastic this morning, Dave. I'm pleased that we weren't doing the Gagan pod yesterday because I would have been a very, very depressed man after Tottenham got absolutely flogged by Chelsea. Um, but I tell you what, loads of talk about the weekend of action that was and the weekend that is coming up is going to be sensational. More London derbies to talk about. I tell you what, it, indeed. And I know we've been excited over the last five weeks or so, Thomas, but it's all coming, it's all coming to life, isn't it? Yeah, that's shaping up. And, uh, you know, who's going to stop Chelsea? I think that's, uh, you know, I can see the smile on your face. You know, they like like Bridgie said. Absolutely but lucky we didn't destroyed. do this podcast yesterday, this time yesterday morning. <laughs> yeah, especially in the second half, they destroyed Tottenham. So, uh, yeah, you know, there's so many games to look forward to. And as you say, uh, Bridget, London derby uh, as well at the weekend. So, yeah, can't wait. Mark, entertain us. What's going on in Europe? What do you got for us on the uh, side of the world that's doing things? Well, Barcelona just equalised the last minute of the game. Can you believe it? They were having a horror, horror mm. run at home to Granada. So what's happening? That's obviously the news here in Spain, how bad they've been and how they look horrendous. Um, and obviously still gloating over Chelsea, uh, beat that other team. What are they called? Um, oh, they are a sorry state, aren't they? Let's be honest. It's all gone pear-shaped for uh, Bridgie's favourite first team. Um, what are they called? Uh, Tottenham, that's it. The nickname um, starts with an S. And it's not shite, <laughs> as it should be. Because <laughs> they are having one, aren't they? I mean, all the stories obviously started about Harry Kane and how he then apparently uh, looked disinterested towards the end of the game. And, of course, all the troubles that are happening at Man City in terms of not being able to score. Um, and obviously, one, you know, two and two are being linked together um, again. And the question will be in January, if it continues, will City... Uh, go back in for Kane. And the other thing would be, will Tottenham then be prepared to sell him and try and get as much money as they can? And will they get anywhere near what they were probably, what they were supposedly offered just now in the summer? Doesn't go away. Storylines of the Premier League. We will kick on with that shortly. We're going to start off on, we're recording on Tuesday morning, Australian Eastern Standard Time. That's when the Gagan Pod was recording this week. So we're going to just kick off with some news just in 
overnight for our audience. And the first one is a bit of feel-good news for Australian football, with the news that Jared Gillette, the referee, who's gone over to the UK after uh, his impressive stint here in the A-League, he's gone and joined the referees group over in the UK, broken through, been in the championship, been in the VAR box, and on the weekend he will officiate Watford against Newcastle United in the Premier League. He will be the first overseas official, Schwartzy, in the Premier League. And if this is a, you know, I know there aren't any Australian players in the Premier League right now, but irrespective of that, this is an outstanding achievement and, and a really great milestone for, a, a, you'd have to say, another type of trailblazer in Australian football. Absolutely. Um, I just, I mean, there, there is a debate whether or not he is the first non-British or non, yeah, non-British uh, referee because Dermot Gallagher was actually born in Ireland at the age of 16, moved across the UK, but was registered with the F- English FA and represented England. So therefore, they class him as English. Um, but yeah, listen, um, minor technicality, but I tell you what, absolutely amazing um, accomplishment from Jared Gillett to be the first Aussie, of course, let's, let's say it that way, first Aussie to referee in a Premier League referee abroad like that. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty exciting, I have to say. Um, I'm excited to see how he does, and I hope he does really, really well. It's a, it's a, it's a, we talk about the, we've always talked about as players, the tyranny of distance to get abroad, but actually to cut through it in a profession that, that hasn't had that lineage before Bridgie especially for someone who's you've, you've come here in the A-League as well you've come back down here it's um it's a heck of a it's a heck of a um not just an achievement but actually um ambition to head over there and try cut through in a in a, in a market where no, no one's really done that before yeah I think you've got to credit him for what he's done and you know I'll look back to the ICC Cup that was on in Melbourne and I remember that they got Clattenburg to come over and do a, a master class in refereeing and he took Gillett under his under his wing and I think he was suitably impressed and I think that has been the mentoring that has gone on there and he's really really helped him to take the gamble and look to go overseas and, and get more opportunities and I think um, Clattenburg's helped him a hell of a hell of a lot but obviously you've got to go and spread your wings and be by yourself and he's done it in the championship the VR have been impressed them and he's impressed everybody out there so that's fair credit to him. And what he's done now, he's actually set a pathway. There's a lot of kids in Australia at this moment in time are going through the refereeing course. Um, and we, we've managed, at, uh, my son's playing at Cooks Hill um, in the Newcastle region. And what they've done, they, they've got all the kids um, to go online and do their courses as early as they can, even though they're players as well. So they gain more respect for the referees when they are actually playing their games because they've got to referee the matches and they get paid by the clubs now for the matches that they referee. And I think it's a really, really good presence that they've set um, to get respect across the whole board. And that, that's a really, really good thing now that kids can see that if they don't make it as footballers, they can go on and be referees um, and referee games to make some money and obviously have a career from it. For all you listeners out there, just in case you didn't understand, Bridget, it's Cooks Hill. Okay, so um, not Kooks Hill, just wanted Cooks. to say. <laughs> We've got Kook Books. <laughs> very good, very good. Tom, did you ever get refereed by, by Jared? I did, yes. Yeah, no, yeah. Um... <laughs> Brid- Bridgie, did. you did. Oh, sorry, I thought I didn't realise who you told me that, Dave. Well, I didn't. I, I had a, one game with him where he had a shock and one game where he was very good. Tommy? Yeah, no. I, again, I had huge respect for him uh, when I had him in, in the A League. I thought he stood out as as definitely the the best referee uh, that was that was there. Um, and and I like what he's done. I think you know a little bit like the women's game now. Young girls can can see the pathway. They can see a 
a pathway to yeah to 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 making money to make a career out of it and and now you can in, in refereeing as well here in Australia and uh, uh, you know I like that he's he's gone for it he's he's obviously you know he's made his connections he, he's put his name in the hat and uh, and and he's worked hard for it he's done it the hard way he, you know he hasn't been handed it to him um, so you know fair play and I yeah again I think like my Swartz said I you know wish him wish him all the best I think uh, you you would hope that he has a good first game and and cements himself. Yeah, indeed, his game management, his personality is what they say is what stood out, that he, um, he had a good rapport with all the players. Seems like that was one of the one of the reasons he was very, very popular amongst the players here in the A-League. And he, he's got some experience of big games. He, he took he took charge in the championship playoffs last season. He's done uh, e- EFL Cup games, obviously championship games, uh, been the VAR box. So all the very best to him on the weekend. So from good news to the game, guys, to not such good news overnight for Australian football with Harry Kuehl. He's been sacked by Barnett after just seven games in charge of the National League club. That's seven games, no wins. The club said in a statement through their head of football, Dean Brennan, it was clear how much Harry Kuehl wanted to have a positive impact. But ultimately, the results and the poor start to the season have dictated our decision. The plan for the season was for Barnett FC to be challenging in the top half of the table, and that is still very much our aim. Not great news for Kuehl Schwartzy, who now has Barnett joining a list of clubs, Notts County, Oldham and Crawley Town, where it hasn't quite worked out for him. Um, I mean, Crawley Town, I, I wouldn't put it down as not working out for him. I actually think it worked out really well for him as he chose to leave. Um, it was a decision, I think, obviously in hindsight, uh, hindsight's a wonderful thing. He probably regrets a little bit, but then the opportunity to join Notts County at the time was too great. Um it's tough, isn't it? Really, really tough for anyone uh, in management. Um, and I think for Harry, well, I remember when I interviewed him when he was at Crawley Town and I asked him why Crawley Town. He said it was the only offer he had. And then I think um, it's kind of pretty much probably been the same thing um, as the, the list of clubs have gone on. And Barnett was another opportunity at a club where the owners are pretty trigger happy, but then saying that seven games in, not winning a single game, um, it's tough. I did speak to Harry a couple of weeks ago and he was saying that, you know, it's tough at that level because there's quite a few clubs that have money. They've thrown money around. His team, for example, he said in this level, he goes, you very rarely be able to keep a team together for longer than, than 12 months. He was sort of kind of having to rebuild again. Um, and his own personal goal was to finish in the top half of the table, not necessarily the, the teams. And so it's a bit strange to hear the club come out and make a statement saying that we want to be in the top half of the table contesting for, for p- potentially a, a playoff position when, when Harry was saying his own goal was just to finish in the top half of the table. Bridget, you know Harry very well, obviously. Uh, the, these are, this is another setback. Uh, what, what do you think happens now to him with his managerial ambitions? Well, it's going to be very tough, like Swartz. He said, I think if there's one thing that he he has learned um, when he left Corley and he went to Notts County, he went with a, a trigger-happy um, owner. And, you know, the writing was on the wall early doors, Harry got sacked from there um, in his short career. Barnett had that as well with their history with their owner. I thought you might have learned a lesson. And all you could see on the, you know, a lot of the messages that have been coming back in from the club saying, oh, here we go again, another manager, X, Y, and Z. So I do feel from that respect. Um, but where's he going to go from here? Dave, that is an unbelievable question because if you're not doing it at three or four clubs in the lower divisions, it's very unlikely you're going to get another sniff anywhere higher. Um, so if he does want to continue his coaching career and the managerial career, 
um, that he's worked so hard uh, and taken a big leap of faith in, in certain opportunities that he, he's gone for. I think he's got to look. He's got to look overseas, uh, and wherever that might be, we don't know. He's you know he's a he's a family man. He enjoys his uh, um, spending time with his family. He he obviously loves his coaching and to relax, he plays golf. So where does he go? I honestly don't know. I think the the, the lower leagues. Um, he's going to be very very lucky to get another opportunity. I hope he does, and I hope he gets somewhere where he can actually put a plan in progress like Sporty said he hasn't been given that time and when he did at Corley he had very good success so I wouldn't write Harry off he loves it when everything is against him he will bounce back in some form and we will see him back in the managerial hot seat I would say in the next six months definitely um, but I would say overseas well, it is a brutal ball down there in the lower leagues of the of, the, of English football. So he's certainly had some uh, tough gigs down there to begin. We wish him well, and we hope we see him again back in the managerial dugout some point soon. Now, gents, we were going to talk about uh, we're going to talk about everything that happened in the weekend. I'm going to save Chelsea Tottenham. Would you believe it? I'm not going to open up with that, but mainly because there's so much to talk about that in light of the huge fixtures that are coming up uh, next week as well. So before we get too carried away, I want to start with something still fresh off the weekend. It was huge drama. I mean, probably the most bonkers end to a game we've had so far this season where Manchester United did end up edging West Ham. But that was courtesy, of course, of David De Gea's last second, last second save off Mark Noble coming off the bench. David Moyes ushering him off the bench to find the equaliser after Jesse Lingard's exceptional goal to put Manchester United ahead. Just in uttering that sentence, Thomas, that pretty much sums up the ultimate drama that the Premier League can dish out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think many of us couldn't quite believe it. Um, you know, you understand the, the logic behind it. Like, you got your player, statistically, he's the best uh, that you have at penalties, but it's just not that simple. Uh, because if it was, uh, I think, De Gea should have been substituted because his record is probably the worst uh, in Europe uh, at saving penalties. Um, but, you know, again, to come on as a player who hasn't touched the ball, we saw it, um, you know, at the Euros, didn't work. There's, you know, that statistic goes out the window because a- a- another thing takes over and that's the pressure, the emotions, you know, your doubts. Uh, you haven't touched the ball for for any length of time. And, uh, you know, it's just not that easy. Uh, and we saw it. It was a poor penalty. It was, you know, you know, had the gear, he went the right way and, and he would save it. Uh, and he did. Um, so fair play to him for, for stepping up uh, after a lot of criticism, especially in the Europa League final, um, you know, last year where he didn't save anything. Um, so, you know, it was important. And, and United dug out a, a, a a big win because, you know, West Ham really, uh, you know, took them to the wire. Dave, I've got to say, I was absolutely delighted that Manchester United ended up getting the result in this game because there was a couple of moments in that game where I could not believe Cristiano Ronaldo was not given a penalty. Um, for, even both when the for, ha- one, for both or um, particularly the mainly first one? This, I would say, yeah, just the one out of the two. Um, I don't think they could have, you know, one of them was a little bit of a, a dodgy coming together, but I, they, he had to get one of them. I could not believe it. Um, even when you, you saw it in full speed and slow speed. So for them to get the result, I thought it was just reward. Well, while we're on that, and then I want to, t- I want to pick the keeper's brains in a second. But uh, Jesse Lingard, uh, I think that's a terrific story, Bridgie. A guy that was really, you know, on the out at Manchester United has gone to West Ham, got himself back into a Euro squad, and uh, I mean, the goal yesterday coming off the bench after his mistake midweek for England. Yeah. 
Like this, this kid's got something about him after I say kid, you know, he, he's still got a bit to prove and he's overcoming all those obstacles now getting thrown his way, which maybe a couple of seasons ago he wasn't doing. Yeah, and it's great to see him bounce back. I think the fresh start down at West Ham did him the world of good. Um, he won the fans over. Uh, he won the respect of the players and he got his career back on track, Dave, like you said. And he had a huge decision to make. It was probably taken out of his hands because Manchester United knew what a quality player he is and can be. And they saw the, you know, the, the Jesse Lingard that we love to see back again with a new fire in his belly at West Ham and thought he can do good things for us. We don't want to sell him. And he's been getting criticised for his celebration where he didn't celebrate that win. And I, I think it was just purely out of respect for what mm. the, how the fans had played a part in getting him back to his best. And you never know in the future what's going to happen. If he'd have gone off celebrating and thrown it in their faces, it could have cost him a move in the future going back to West Ham. And I, I just think everything about him, because um, I wasn't his biggest fan, you know. I think his body language at times at United, I didn't like his work ethic um, and his body language and his demeanour. But I thought that showed a lot of respect um, and a, a kind of clear headspace as to his all-round um, persona once again. I always look back at a comparison to United bench in the Europa League final, where I think they had one Mata, Fred, Alex Telles, Daniel James came on. And then yesterday when they needed to change the game, they had Jadon Sancho, Lingard comes on. They've got that depth that's growing, that's, that's providing them that different that different hand. We've spoken about it in depth the last couple of weeks, but that was a really good snapshot of that. But they still needed Schwarzy David De Gea to step up. Before we talk about the penalty itself, De Gea himself, Solskjaer to said he is a new man this season. Are you seeing a bit of a different mentality from him after a couple of different seasons? Is this a is this just a moment that might actually just be a, a, a good line in the sand for him, this penalty save? Because Solskjaer had some big decisions to make around the goalkeepers and he's stuck with the legacy of David De Gea. Well, I think the decision of sticking with De Gea this season has been made, made easy for him because Dean Henderson's been out injured. Obviously, they brought in Tom Heaton but I don't think they ever brought Tom Heaton in to be a genuine contender as number one for Manchester United. I think they always saw him as a uh, a number two or number three as a squad player. You need three good goalkeepers. Um, so so that, that decision has been taken out of Solskjaer's hands. Um, and I think De Gea has done, done well. Um, is he back to the form he showed a couple of years ago? Not quite yet. Um, that's going to take more time. He needs to be more consistent. Will the penalty save help him uh, build on confidence? Absolutely. Whenever you're making saves, big saves, match-winning saves, uh, defining moments of games because of a save, absolutely. I mean, listen, any any penalty save is a good uh, uh, is a really good penalty save. Doesn't matter how bad the penalty itself was taken um, for a goalkeeper to go the right way, make the save is a good save. Um, so for De Gea, it's only a positive. And when you're on the end of a, a saving those three points. You, you grow, you grow an extra foot in confidence. Mr. Wiener, can I just say we are talking to penalty save goalkeeping royalty here with these two. There's an unbelievable <laughs> statistic going around at the moment, Swartzy. Please enlighten us. Well, um, which one's that, mate? Uh, <laughs> there's obviously top five penalty saves in the uh, top top five number of penalty saves in the in the Premier League. David James number one at thirteen saves. Thomas Storrison number two on twelve. Myself, um, Shay Given, and Brad Friedel all on ten. There you go, Wiener. That's. I was going to throw it back to you and say we have. And, and include you in the list, but you've you've thrown the, you've thrown it back the other way. So well well done, well done, Bridgie. Um, to you guys, you're standing in goal. You have the mentality of knowing when a penalty is coming up. You know 
what you want to do. And you see someone brought in Cole Thomas off the bench. What does that do to you as a goalkeeper when you're approaching that and you are in De Gea's position on the weekend? Does that give you the sense of immediately a sense of superiority? Does that change your mentality as you approach it? You know, you know, just basically with penalties, I think, uh, you know, I used to put a lot of work into it uh, and it paid off. Um, and it's not just, you know, you, you hear a lot of people say, oh, but it's just a 50-50, you know, you know, dive left, dive right. You make a decision and, and you're lucky if you save it. Uh, there, there's a lot of work. Uh, you know, the players, uh, you know, he would have known Noble. So he would have seen... Uh, he probably wouldn't have been first on his list, uh, but he would have known to get uh, the statistics of, of every West Ham player taking penalties before that game. And then it becomes the mental battle. There's so much you can do as a, as a goalkeeper uh, from a mental perspective. Uh, you look at body language um, uh, and then you take all that into account, the, the, the situation, you know, there, there's a difference. Like we've all, as a goalkeeper, been in training, in training sessions where players under no pressure, you know, they, they, they take more of a chance, you know, they, they, they leave their, you know, their, their, their tendencies. But when people come under pressure, they tend to stick to the, what they're good at. And, and that, you know, the, the more you practice it, you can, you can sort of sum up that situation to your advantage and, and, um, and I think De Gea did that in that situation because you, you look at his body language, you look at, you could see he was nervous. You could see he was thinking it through. You know, I've been brought on to score this one. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's all I have to do in this game. And uh, De Gea took full advantage. When you say you put a lot of work, is that also in terms of the analytics of, of sort of their trends? And so you're actually studying the players? Is that what you mean by that? No. So, yeah, that's part of it. Um, I, I used to do uh, movements as well. So, so practice, you know, diversion. Uh, you know, you, you, can, you, can, you can sort of try to influence uh, players in the run-up before the kick, mm. you know, how you uh, position yourself. Uh, and I used to, I used to work with, with a, especially the national team coach on, on different tactics, uh, different things trying different things out uh, to try to influence the players' minds uh, before they were kicking it in their run-up. Um, uh, and I think it was that last moment because they, they tend to look at the keeper and then with about one or two steps before the ball, they'll start to look down. So you have that second or two before they look down to try to influence them. I've, and that, that was something we were working on. And, and obviously that was uh, something that helped me. I've got to say, it was fascinating sitting with Thomas in the studio when we were doing the Euros and the matches went to penalty shootouts because I was fascinated at how many times Tommy got the direction of the ball from the penalty kick taker correct. And it was basically from the run-up. And, I, you know, there was a lot of a lot of players that we've watched, but Tommy won't study them penalty takers like he did back in the in the day. And I just found it interesting just by the actual angle of the run-up, what Tommy was saying. And it, um, I found that fascinating. And one, but before we get to Schwartz, just one other thing, Thomas, when you said under pressure, they go back to type. So is that also when you say, like, you know, when I said your players come off the bench, you think, I've got this. If a Mark Noble's coming on, you go, he's cold. He hasn't had a kick of the ball. I know I've studied that he's gone that way nine times out of ten. I'm going to back that he's going to go the comfortable way this time because he's coming on cold and the stakes are so high. Is that, is that kind of where you'd sort of hedge if you were going to in that situation? It, it would be part of the decision. It wouldn't be the whole decision um, from my point. You know, I would also look at, 
from every, every step he's taking from when he enters the box, uh, I would watch him. Uh, you know, how does he put the ball down? How does he step back from the ball? Uh, and then, as I said, in those couple of seconds when he starts his run-up, that, that's when I'll then make the decision based on all of it, you know, based on what I know from him beforehand and what I see. And then uh, I'll make that decision. Schwartzy, you had no idea at penalties either. Have you got anything to add? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what was interesting as well, obviously, the, the later you got on in your career, the more technology came into it. So, you know, the, the analyzing aspect of it, video analysis, then having separate video analysis for yourself. I mean, the one club I was at was at Chelsea, whereby as a goal, as sets of goalkeepers, the goalkeeping coach would actually hold his own video analysis session on the day of a game of the opposition and the penalty taking situation. And I, and I, I don't think Petr Cech was that successful at saving penalties. He's certainly not on that list uh, in the top five, um, but they would, they would research it to the, to the nth degree in terms of on some plays, you could actually pick up a certain movement or a certain angle that they would take. And they would always go one way when they made this particular movement or this particular step as opposed to going the other way. And that's the detail they went into. Um, I mean, I, I used to watch a lot of videos as well and 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 just study players and, and go, okay, right, uh, statistically, this is how often and how far he goes. And you'll find with players, a lot of penalty takers often, they'll have a favourite corner, they'll have a, a go-to penalty that they'll, they'll use. I mean, I thought with Martin Noble, he made it pretty easy for, for David De Gea in the end because of, for me, it was pretty obvious. He, he telegraphed where he was going to play it. It was obvious he was going to go there. Um, and obviously, hindsight's a wonderful thing because obviously he did go that way. I mean, if he'd whipped it, he would have gone, okay, well, he's done him He's done him well there. He's, he's played as if he's going down that way and then he's whipped it the other way, but he didn't. So, yeah, it was all about the preparation, like Thomas was saying. You know, there were things that you would not – I wouldn't do as much on the training field. It would be more about – video analysis because a lot of the sessions you did were reflexed and reflex sessions and, you know, reacting rather than preempting or knowing where the ball is going and then just, just making a save. So I, I think for me, what was more important was the video analysis, having a lot, a lot of video footage, as much video footage as you possibly could have each individual penalty taker that was, that you were potentially going to face. And, well, Dave, and is a journal- Sporty, Dave is a journalist. He scribbles a lot of stuff down. He's normally got smoke coming off his pencil. I have never seen as much information absorbed and taken in there, thinking that he can get all of this stuff taken down so he can make <laughs> that football and goalkeeping career that he's always been after. Wiener, it's over. It's over. Stop trying to get information off the boys. You will not get in the A-League, mate. It's done. No, I used to try. I used to give away penalties just so I could save them. That was the one, one thing I thought I could actually do down at the park because I knew that couldn't lock me from the six-yard spot. My word. This is not for the listeners. This is for Dave Wiener. <laughs> hey, George, George, I've heard you say in the past that you would wait to the last second. You would stay very, very still. To what extent yep. we've seen, I mean, I've, we've seen your compatriot, Thomas, jump up and down, Kasper Schmeichel, wave like he's about to take off an aeroplane. Um, you keep very still. Is that a personal sort of choice? Is that a coaching technique? Um, have you experimented? Did you try something different later on in your career? I'm just interested in that aspect of the the, the, the positioning and that uh, that game of um, what's that? It's the game of sort of cat and mouse. who's going to who's going to go first, cat and mouse. That's right, Bridgie. Yeah, 
I, I tried to. So, like, it didn't always work because there, there's a natural tendency and ur- an urge to move. So, when the, the closer someone gets to the pool, and, you, and, and like Thomas was saying, that you, you would be digesting all the information in front of you. I remember World Cup qualifying, played against Japan um, in the last World Cup qualifying series in 2013 for the 14 World Cup. We played away in Japan, winning 1 0. Japan get a penalty. And I can't remember actually who was taking it, but I remember Holger Osiak saying to me, listen, if they get a penalty, He'll go, he's down on confidence. He's not playing well. And he always goes high down the middle. Always. So we watch the videos and, and it's, it's true. Like so many times you went down the middle and high. So I'm thinking to myself, right, he's going high down the middle. He's going high down the middle. And then all of a sudden he runs up and I just think he's going somewhere else. And I move and he goes high down the middle. The manager goes, berserk. <laughs> I'm kicking myself. <laughs> Because it was a given that he was going to go out in the middle. But like I said to you, sometimes it was really hard to stop yourself from moving because the closer they get to the ball, there is a tendency to go, right, I've got to do so. I've got to move. I've got to. So I tried to really work on standing still. So the key was always to not then fall on your heels, be on your toes. So standing still is one thing, but you've got to be able to react in a split second. So it, it's really, really tough. It, it's, of course it's tough because otherwise – Goalkeepers will be saving penalties left, right, and center, and they don't because it's such a tough art to 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 try and not even master. No one need it mastering it, but to be to be pretty decent at it. And Swartz had an advantage, Dave. He's got two long arms. He's got his his long legs, and he's also got his nose. So if he goes one week and always turn his head, it was like an extra um, an extra limb well, that he was um, able to put against the the attacking players. You should have scored more goals, then, would you? And knows where the back of the goal was, mate. <laughs> Yeah, but, but I think, you know, Dave, I think it, it doesn't matter. It all comes down to you're trying to influence the strikers. Mm. If you want to jump around on the line, you want to wave your arms. If you want to stand still, it's it's all about putting doubt into, you know, into their mind. Um, and, and as I said, there's different tactics, different strategies. Uh, and I think it, it comes down to what and works the, best for you. The because- pressure of the moment as well, Tommy. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, I haven't been in fifty penalty shootouts, but, but I, you know, the ones that I have been in, uh, I had to work with myself. Just you have to calm yourself down, like Swartz says, because it's, it's easy to get caught up in the moment. Um, you know, you know, the energy is flowing. You want to save it. You know, it's a big opportunity as a goalkeeper to, to, to make a big impact on the game, and, and a lot of times you have to calm yourself down to, to then sort of remember the the strategy and remember the tactics and remember what you instead of being caught up in a moment and and you know you know and, and i've done what what swords have done as well you know you, you get caught up in it and then you go away from what you've you know what what you know you should have been doing anyway i i've had it like you know you talk about the uruguay penalty shootout and and in, in 205 of 2005 and that was a very sort of a, a moment where I said to myself, okay, right, these guys, a lot of these guys, particularly South Americans, they like to stutter their run-ups. They like to wait for a goalkeeper to move early and then just calmly slot in another way. So it was about trying to stay on my feet as long as possible because I felt with that sort of penalty taker, the majority of them were like that, was that the longer you sat on your feet, the closer they got to the ball, the more they're expecting you to move, the less you move, the more pressure is on them again, even more. Because then they're starting to panic a little bit, going, okay, right, now they've got a finer slot. The longer they wait, the more difficult it is for them to angle. And there's more of a chance that they will either miss or hit it closer to you. So that's where I always felt that, that you know, you, you had half a chance against teams like that. And, and 
obviously I was able to to stay on my feet long enough to make saves. And and, and I, th- I think the fact that I sat on my feet as long as possible and div- didn't give anything away in terms of moving one way or the other. I did it one, one out of one of the penalties I did it. I actually dived early and the rest of them I didn't. And I think that you know, hugely contributed to, to making the saves. Fascinating insight for our listeners. Hope you enjoyed that that one as well. And maybe you will get some tips as opposed to me and, and you can go on and save a few penalties at the park, uh, as Bridgie suggested. Before we end that, one last thing, Bridgie, the overcoaching, the over-tactical, you know, we talk about people writing their own scripts in sport, but you've had managers who really try to write their scripts. We saw Gareth Southgate do it at the Euros. We saw David Moyes try it. Heck, we can go as far back to that shootout what Schwartzy references where Mark you've spoken about seeing Zelko Kalach warm up in the corner of your eye with whatever Hoos Hiddink was trying to do until Brett Emerton got camp cramp. We've seen Louis Van Gaal do it with Tim Krul at the World Cup. What do you make of that, Bridgie? Like surely it is particularly we saw it with the Euros, it's it is the gamble of all gambles, isn't it? Of course it is. And that's where that's why they get paid the big bucks to make the big decisions. And if they come off like Tim Cruels did um, for the Netherlands, it was it was a stroke of genius. And if it doesn't, like Gareth Southgate has found out, like Moyes has found out now, it, it doesn't always happen. So that, you know, they're always thinking of ways. Um, you, you never know. Noble might have been sitting on that bench there for the moments leading up to that penalty decision. They could have quickly gone. This is where De Gea goes. He goes more, more to this side. Um, I know Tim Cruel had a long time to study some of the penalty takers. Um, when he came on and made a difference. Um, I still think that I agree with the boys. Sometimes when you are not fit, uh, sorry, you're not ready, you're not in the moment of the game um, and you're coming on cold and that's your first touch of the ball, I think it's it's a bit crazy, to be honest. And I thought Moyes might have learned from that. But Dave, that, who's to say there's there's no right or wrong in football? That is the joy of it. It's all about opinions. It's all about making decisions. And it's all about trying to find a, a difference that's going to give you the edge. And that hasn't. The one I'm looking forward to seeing is when Manchester United actually get a penalty for the first time to see who's going to take that and how Solskjaer, Fernandez, and Ronaldo are going to handle that situation. There's another one. No, I agree. I think with the West Ham one and Mark Noble, I can so understand why Devin Moyes did what he did. Mark Noble's a, a really good penalty taker. He scored a lot, a lot of goals for West Ham, taken a lot of penalties and done well. So I can understand him. He's an experienced, their, their most experienced player. So it's not like what Gareth did and brought on young inexperienced players who have the weight of, of the world on their shoulders. Martin Noble can handle it and he's a West Ham boy through and through and he's a captain of the club or has been. Well, and he obviously can't handle it because he missed. No, I know he missed, but but it happens. We all know that. It happens. And I, I don't think it was just because he came off the bench. You know, I, I, I think if he, if he scores it, everyone goes, of course you bring him on because he's, he's such a good penalty taker and, and he's, their, he's their general penalty taker. So mm. I, I think it's uh, whenever you miss, people, it opens up for criticism. So and, it, and I've got question. to say, when, when he came on and he was walking to that penalty, I'm watching the game and, I mean, my wife doesn't even like watching football, but I, I made her and, she, and I was saying, he's going to miss you. And this is like what happened with England. She was straight away on it. And I was I just, I, I understand what you were saying. I did say he has got the best record. He's Mr. Reliable. He's the leader of the football club. He's been there a long time, but it just, it just stunk. I did not, I did not like seeing it. I thought it was disrespectful to the players that were on the field. 10 penalties yeah, from maybe. 10 for him. Because <laughs> uh, Thomas uh, wants to jump in. Yep. Yeah, no, I bet Solskjaer wished he had uh, put Henderson in, in, uh, in the Euro- Euro- Europa League final now. Um, 
but but I, I like the thinking. You know, I, I think it likes Swartzy. You know, he, he's the best taker, so so it gives you a reason to put him on. Hindsight is always easy, and it didn't work. And and you take the criticism. And I think Moisey stood up after the game as well and and said, you know what, it's on me. I, I stand by my decision, and and fair play. Mm. Speaking he's come out and that, said he's the best penalty. He's actually come out and said he's the best penalty taker in Europe. Mm. That's what he's actually mm. said. Obviously, it's a, it's an emotional thing and trying to trying to justify it all. But he is a very good penalty taker. Mm. So I, I get that. I get why he's done it. It hasn't worked out, but I understand why he did it. And I wouldn't be surprised if he did it again. If it comes up again, penalty. Of course, I wouldn't be surprised if he did it again. <laughs> Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Norwich, Thomas, they're in a bit of bother. <laughs> they're in a bit of bother. The, the Watford game was one they would have had penciled in saying they had to get something from it, but they've now uh, lost all five games. Daniel Farker overnight has given some comments. Um, and he said, I think it's always important to be honest, but also not to bury them alive, and it's important to stay positive. I want to go to you. I know you've had experience with Sunderland when the tide is going against you. What do Norwich do now? Can they arrest this tide of momentum? You know, I, I think it, it, it comes down to, you know, Fark doesn't seem to, to, to want to change, uh, you know, his, his tactics. And, and I think they've, they've now been exposed. Uh, and we saw especially, you know, Watford down the flanks. Uh, I think that the, the space they leave when they go forward, um, you know, just get torn to threats um, in, in, yeah, in all the games they played up, up until now. And, 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 and again, have they got a defense, uh, a defense that they can just shut up shop and play a little bit more like Burnley and Granite result? So I don't think so. And then you've got the whole, you know, the, the mental aspect of uh, and And, you know, like you said, I can dig into my experiences. You know, when you start losing, you start questioning everything around you. You start questioning the manager, the tactics, your teammates, yourself. Uh, and the more you lose, it becomes a habit, and it, it's sort of a snowballing effect. It's just a, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and 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 um, yeah, it, 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 that, and I think that's well, you know, eventually, you know, Timo Puki can't single single handedly dig them out. You know, he, he scores from time to time, and 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 you know, he's f- fairly efficient, but they're they're leaking way too many goals, and uh, yeah, uh, and I think you know the the mental side of it, you know, is all. Already, the cracks are already starting to appear. The worrying sign for me with with um, Norwich, Dev, is the fact that a team that has come up with them in Watford has, you know, a- annihilated them. I thought it was a tremendous performance um, from them, and like Tommy says, they've been exposed in so many areas. The boy saw, I thought, it was fantastic mm. with his two goals uh, for Watford the way they did, and they controlled the game. But not only that, they actually bullied and dominated all over the park. When I see um, Hanley and Quebec in in the defence, young Aaron's and Williams at the back. Um, Gilmore's a great player in the defensive, um, in the midfield. You know what what quality is, but do they really have the power and the presence um, that you know when the things are going against you, you've got to roll your sleeves up. 
And sometimes you've got to grind results up. And that maybe that is, you know, what Tommy's saying about Farker. He's not going to change his ways. But a lot of teams like your Burnleys will hang on. they look for set players because they know they're dominant. They've got an aerial presence. I don't even see that in Norwich. They're a very, very small team. They look like they're an easy beat. And I think it's curtains for them. Um, I'll make a massive statement here. I know Swindon and we've suffered it with Sunderland have gone down. Um, and got relegated, unfortunately. I think Norwich could go down this season with the least amount of points by any Premier League team. There you go. They look that, I don't think that bad. I, I don't think they're that bad. I don't think they're that bad as Derby were back then. But what's you know Derby's what? the points? thing is, right? Was it nine? Nine I or 11? Was, no, I thought it was 11. I thought it was 11. I'll, I'll look it up. Like, like you guys it up. I, I, yeah. They're going to be in around the mix, I'm telling you. I, I, I you know, listen, not, Norwich, there's no, I, I, the only thing I'm surprised with is there's no bounce. There's not been a momentum from the championship, that promotion. I thought maybe there'd be a little bit of a better fight um, and they haven't had it. But listen, did anyone, did any of us think that Norwich is going to stay up? No. I certainly never thought Norwich was going to stay up. I hope up. they'd learn from the yeah. last time, Schwartz. I hope they'd have yeah, a but little, I don't think well, they haven't because they haven't model. signed players. Yeah. But that's not their model though, is it? Their model is to, to, to be that club that's up and down, up and down. Obviously, the outside chance of potentially staying in the league. But if you look at their signings in Ozan Kabak, Billy Gilmore on loan, Josh Sargent from, from Schalke, the American, um, just to name the three of them, you know, I mean, we saw Ozan Kabak a bit last season at Liverpool. He's, he's a shadow of himself. He had high expectations on his shoulders, but he he was at Schalke for, what, two, three seasons, and they were diabolical. The guy is completely zero in confidence. At Liverpool struggled to, to adjust. And at Norwich, his confidence is not going to be not going to be improved upon. Billy Gilmore's a good player. There's no doubt about it. He's got game and time to develop. In a good team, of course, and and he'll do all right, but he won't. It won't be enough for 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 Norwich to stay up. And you look at Josh Sargent. You know, he he's just an okay player. He's a young player, inexperienced in the Premier League, um, and and was a bit part player in the Bundesliga as well. And then you take Watford as the example, as you said. You know, Watford have been promoted. Josh King, um, Danny Rose. Um, and Sissoko. I mean, Sissoko. the three players that... Yeah, and they've kept the whole of Saul. I thought Saul might have gone exactly. when they left because he was brilliant in the Premier League. Exactly. So you've got three players they've brought into the club that have got enormous amount of Premier League experience. They're still, a, well, you know, more than capable of playing in the Premier League and doing well in the Premier League, adding to an already experienced squad. Watford always fancy to, to, to do all right. So they're chalk and cheese in terms of comparison. Norwich has their model. They run at a very, very tight ship. The money they get for, for promotion is reinvested in the academy. They develop players. Their aim is to ship them on. And they hope for a bit of success along the way. They're not going to get it. We know that. Uh, and you think they're selling Buendia, who's one of their best players from last year, sell, sell him to, to, to Villa. Uh, so that's, that's a statement right there. Exactly. Exactly. Before the season begins. I mean, it's not like, I mean, they've got 30 million for him, but it's not like, I mean, I know for Norwich, that's a lot of money, but still it's, is that worth to sell one of your best players before the season even begins that you've been promoted in the Premier League, you know, mm-hmm. obviously for, you, for Norwich, that's a statement. Yeah. And you look at, you know, you look at what Tony is doing uh, at Brentford, you know, a similar yeah. situation. They could Let's have talk about him. Brentford. Let's talk about yeah. Brentford because of the contrast. I mean, they've been a breath of fresh air. And I know, obviously, they started the season with the win against Arsenal. Took a while to get another one, but they did on the weekend. And um, they look like they're going to be super, super com- competitive. So, so oh, can I just dive 100%. in there? 
And this is going back to us about Norwich. They look like easy beats, yeah? Brentford don't. They've got a, a formula. They've got a style of play, um, which you've got to un- admire under Frank. I think he's been brilliant uh, and the way that they have kept hold of Tony. But what they have got, when they went down to 10 men against Wolves, they've got the grit and steel. They've got uh, Jansen at the back, who's an absolute nightmare. He loves to wind up the opposition. He winds up the opposition fans. He was playing mind games towards the end, going down. Um, the other boy, Ayer at the back, um, was that the boy that came from Celtic? Yep. 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 Uh, again, another strong, powerful defender that I feel has made his presence felt. Uh, and they've got some quality on the ball. I think that they, they've got something that I didn't feel would keep them in the division. But after watching them, I don't think they're going to have a problem this season because of the way that they are able to mix it up. And when they needed to defend in numbers, they did. And they looked very, very wow. comfortable doing it. They work. I mean, from 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 top to, to bottom, they work incredibly hard. And you 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 look at Ivan Tony as well. Like we talk about him as being their, their kind of their star player, the most important player. But the work rate that he puts in, the work every one of them put in, um, is is very impressive. The, the, it's always with these teams you kind of go right. Okay, how for how long can you do that? Mm. Can you do it for the entirety of the season? Will it be enough to stay out? I I said it as well at the beginning. Of the season. I think Brentford have got a, got a decent chance of staying up. Absolutely. So the record points that we mentioned for Derby was 11, 11 points. Uh, there was the Brentford's win was against Wolves, 2-0 on the weekend. We should mention that, 9.30 Saturday night that was. Um, and Norwich, the only caveat would be that their fixtures have included Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester and Arsenal. But the manner of the defeats, you would imagine, and also the fact that the Watford game was the one they needed a hit and they could not. But another bright spark in the competition, if we're going to talk about Brentford, before we get onto the heavyweights, has to be Brighton, Bridgie. Because up in fourth, ahead of Manchester City, we're starting to finally see some goals as the reward for the play that we've been praising them on for, what, 18 months under Graham Potter. And a 2-1 win over Leicester. Bit of luck involved in that win with penalties going in their favour, both <laughs> in terms of what they got and what uh, Leicester did not get. But they got the win. Well, it was penalties. There was the VAR offsides that also helped them when they were, um, you know, we've got two goalkeepers on the show. They know how awkward it is when you get a striker stand in front of you when there's them set plays coming to try and just um, block your vision. But you've got to say, um, Brighton and, and Potter, the way that they have gone about their business uh, is absolutely brilliant. Duncan Duffy at the back looked uh, look solid in the game. Um, Lalana, great to see him performing. Mm. Welbeck, another player that we, you know, I, I just think after his injuries, great to see him back. And still that question mark: Have they got the number nine um, or the strike that's going to get them then twenty plus goals to keep them in around? Mapai gets the penalty, takes it. Trossard impressed with March. I just think each year these players grow in confidence with the. Premier League experience that they have, the way Potter is able to get his messages across, and no wonder there's so many teams wanting to get him. But again, it's a club that have set out their stall. The reason they got Potter in um, to fit the club's style of play, the philosophy they were after, and they're reaping the benefits, mate. And I, I'm really, really impressed. Them still question the number nine situation going on, but every yeah, they, they, they could be the big, big shock that nobody picked out this season that can perform. You were after an underdog, and I, I didn't see these coming. Four wins out of five. They've beaten uh, Burnley. They've beaten Watford. They've beaten Br- Brentford, and they've beaten Leicester. They've lost to Everton. But if you're picking up, if you're picking up at Brighton's level, if you're picking up those wins, that holds you in good stead for your campaign to accumulate the points you need to to be to where you want to be. So, well under Graham Potter and and to Brighton, it's good to see a different team up amongst the pack. But not in first place. 
Not in first place. That's where Chelsea sit at the moment, gents, after that impressive, particularly second half. It's taken me a while to get there. I thought I'd just warm up. Just the warm smile up, is back know. on his face. The smile. Yeah, warm it up. We've <laughs> talked about goalkeepers. We've talked about Chelsea. We're very happy today. It's a very, very a biased podcast. Um, but, yeah, that was, uh, Schwartzy, a very impressive second half. What do you take more out of this game? How impressive Tuchel's switch was to make that second half with Chelsea just running right over Tottenham or the manner in which Tottenham collapsed, which is the biggest story for you? Uh, Tottenham collapsing is no real surprise, I have to say. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not joking. I, I just don't... Uh, Tottenham have been on the down on the dwindle for a while. Uh, I said it before, I don't think uh, Nuno's the right man for, for Spurs, certainly for inspiration uh, for a team that certainly looks jaded. Um, the Harry Kane saga, we all know, we've talked about it so many times. We talk, we're going to talk, talk it to death before the end of the season anyway, certainly before January. The, the thing about Chelsea, I, I think that the, the moment, the, the, the one thing I would take from that game that impressed me the most was the way that Thomas Tuchel made the change at halftime, wasn't afraid to make a change. But not only that, right? A lot of managers make those changes, right? But I, I, I was more impressed with the response. So, I mean, <clears throat> we saw Aspley Quetta came out after the game and said that he gave the team a dressing down at halftime. And we've all been in dressing rooms where managers have done that. Lost, you know, lost their call. You've, you've been a bad performance in the first half. And so often we've, that Me and Tommy played under Peter Reid. We've seen that. Don't worry. We know exactly yeah. what half times are like. So, and, and more often than not, though, the, the performance continues. It might may lift for five minutes, ten minutes, but then it kind of fizzles out as well. And you, you end up on the back of a bad, bad result, right? I, I'm just impressed with the way that Tuchel has managed the squad. And I've said it right from the beginning when he took over and how he brought all the older experienced players together. I mean, Marcos Alonso is a great example, right? He was going, he was gone. He was, how, many times, how many times has he been leaving the club? Even in the summer, apparently he was leaving or he, he was for sale. But out in the cold um, and Marcos Alonso has been so important to him. He, he looks a different player. He certainly plays well under the formation as well. But I think for me, it's the the way in which Thomas Tuchel's uh, formed a relationship with his entire squad. I mean, Timo Werner, he's a player that really could easily be sulking. You know, I mean, I know he hasn't warranted necessarily starting, but the price tag, everything else, manager believing in him, he's left him out. He comes on. He's like, he, mate, I, I was thinking about it. He could actually replace Mason Mountain, play as that creative player. I think he's good enough, Timo Werner, to do that. But, you know, I just think the response from the players, every player that comes on, no one looks like they're moping. No one looks like they're disgruntled. Everyone wants to be part of it. And I think when you see a squad of that too many top quality players who desperately want to be part of it, they know they're onto something special. Mm. And the manager, I I, I, I like everything about him. I I just think he's, he, he looks a bit scary. When he, when, he, when he talks, you're thinking, mate, I'm, he's going to give you a bollocking. But he, he's obviously got so much respect and, um, and, and obviously the players have all bought into him. And so far, there's, there's very little you could even criticise him on, if at all, anything. 
and Lukaku was meant the story was meant to be Lukaku against Kane and then in, in Thiago Silva who was phenomenal and Antonio Rudiger scoring Chelsea have their ninth and tenth scorers of the season so it, it's a, it's a nice compliment to have where the goals aren't all funneling through the club record signing that you brought in to, to make all those <laughs> solutions. Um, Bridgie, Spurs and Nuno. So Schwartzy touched on it, saying that Nuno wasn't the right man. Most of the conversation around the weekend has been uh, about Harry Kane's body language. Um, I've read a few pieces trying to explain the way he was used and the, the, the logic behind it. But at the end of the day, Harry Kane being stationed out on the left, do you stomach that or not? Yeah. Oh, no, not at all. Uh, now, the first few games, what I've got to say, the dynamics without Harry Kane, when uh, Nuno plays his style, the counter-attack that we saw at Wolves, get numbers you know, get numbers behind the ball and then try and counter-attack. I think when Son was there, Bergwijn was there, uh, Moore was there, it worked absolutely brilliantly because you had three very, very dynamic and fast players that could catch teams on the counter-attack. Uh, now... Injuries and suspensions haven't helped. Uh, Emerson Royale's coming at right back. Tanganga's had to go centre-half. He got suspended. Romeo comes in. The The back line is just looking very, very disjoint at this moment in time. They don't know. There's too many changes having to be made there in the back four. The midfield, Hoiberg, um, I really, really rate. But the, it's, the other week, was um, Skip was in there. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Harry Winks. And I just thought, God, this is just so one-dimensional. There's no X-factor. So Deli Ali and Ndombele were in there against Chelsea. They looked like they were underdone. And Harry Kane out in that position, I just didn't enjoy it. His body language was terrible. He hasn't got the the pace um, for me to play that um, system when he's got Son, Lacelso and Harry Kane. It, it, they haven't got the pace that was early on. So Nuno is getting found out um, with the players at his disposal. And I've got to say, Swartz, you never thought I would say this. If Harry Kane is not going to play as the number nine, and he's not going to play him as the out-and-out striker. He's got to be dropped, and he has he's he's got to not play him if he wants to carry on with these dynamics because that system and the but, way that he was playing. So what's the difference? What do you mean? What's the difference between Harry Kane playing for England and Harry Kane playing for Spurs in terms of where he plays, Harry Kane, how he drops off? I, I said it during the Euros, and you 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 know you 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 pretty much uh, put me down about it, about saying that I think Harry Kane's unutilized. And he certainly is underutilized at Spurs right now, playing out wide. With England, he's underutilized by dropping in the heart. Drop one of the play best players in the, the world. Main, the main number nine, get him in around the area where he scores Absolutely. And Absolutely. For, that's what I'm saying. I said, that, I said that about England. I said that's what they, they don't do with him, and I don't get it. I don't understand it. He's the, one of the best goal scorers on the planet, and you have him dropping deep for England, or you have him playing out wide for, for Spurs. I mean, it's like, I don't know, Nuno's probably seen something that no one else on the planet has actually seen. And maybe he thinks playing him out wide, he's going to actually become even a better goal scorer. Well, he, he looked I mean, lethargic. He looked underdone, I think, obviously. <laughs> I don't know where his headspace at. I never thought I'd say that about Harry Kane. Um, but he, obviously in that position, I, be, I you didn't get it, like him. You understand it. Do you not understand it? I understand of course it. I, do. I understand why, I'd be where gutted if I didn't uh, get me move. He got it. But also, I'm just calling Johnny Aloisi to kick off that debate again. <laughs> Hang on one second. <laughs> no, no. What I no, am saying exactly. He's, he's he, seen all the, the trophies slip away now. Like he, he, again, you you you've got hopes. He's obviously settled to stay there for at least for six months, and 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 he can see that he's going to be nowhere near even mm. maybe a, a top four. Uh, if he's going to stay and you know, where, know where does that leave This is not just about Harry Kane. What I, what I will say, we're talking about the, the manager and um, Nuno. 
I've got to say, I think the dynamics worked early on. He's, so if I compare this, going into this weekend's game against Tottenham, right? we've got North London derby. Arsenal had a shocking start to this season. Arteta had to deal with injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, he had to deal with players struggling with the, the flu symptoms and things like that. And he didn't know what his best back four was. Now, since he's gone with Gabriel and White um, and Tierney, they've got, the, they've got the stability at the back the last two games have kept clean sheets. He's got the players back. Aubameyang's back down the centre. Party's in the defensive midfield. He's got all these players back at his disposal and they're looking good. And it's almost flipped on Nuno, now he's got to deal with the injury crisis, not knowing what his best team is. So going into this one at the weekend, I fear for Tottenham. I, I'm, I'm going to say that Arsenal will get the result because of the form that they are in at this current time. And it's almost like somebody's just gone and flipped it completely upside down. So, Thomas, one thing I've heard, I heard Tim Sherwood say it, I heard Glenn Hoddle say it, and I know that um, Spurs have been quite reactive up until the weekend. Then they tried to go proactive to start the game. They ran out of gas. Now, I, I, I'm here in my little, you know, bubble on the other side of the world. I've never played that elite football. I don't understand the idea that five weeks into the season, a Premier League side can be called they're not fit enough to execute a game plan. Can you explain that to me? Because that's, that is ultimately, for all the stuff that you guys have said, I find that unbelievable. Yeah, I don't think that's an excuse uh, because, um, you know, if that's the excuse, then it's, uh, you know, huge negligence from 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 management and, and the physical trainers because that, that's what you have. Like, we've we got to understand the machine of a Premier League club. Like, you've got, you know, you've got physical trainers, you've got people in the weight room, you've got physio, you've got, you've got all the, the, the things that is needed to implement your game plan. Uh, and and all this that Nuno hasn't had enough time, you know, he's still sort of, yeah, he hasn't been there for years. But we saw what Tuchel, you know, came in and did, what Lampard was doing and, and what Tuchel did. And that was, if not overnight, but it was within a couple of weeks. So there's something that he isn't doing. And, and you know, we got to look at, I think it was brave what they did in the start of the game. Um, but but like what Chelsea has showed, like you got to score. Um, and they, they had a couple of chances, a couple of half chances. Uh, but then you got to be able to, to then adjust to that. And um, we saw in the second half that, that Chelsea adjusted and, and Tottenham, uh, yeah, just fell apart. And uh, yeah, but fitness, no excuse whatsoever in my book. I don't think Tottenham are unfit. You look at Nuno's teams at Wolves, none of them run the court. None of them were not fit. They are all fit. Right, they they would they would run, they'd work hard. They, they were a fit side, so for me, that's not the problem. I think it's already a case of that group of players, and you guys will know the same. You come in, you got a manager, you got a tactic, and you see the team not performing, not doing it. You, you're not buying into the manager, whatever it is, and morale drops. Everything drops. You become fatigued. You become lethargic. Everything about it, and the minute something goes against you, everything drops. Your heads drop. And I think that spurs at the moment. There is a complete problem with the morale in that squad. And that starts from the top all the way down to the bottom. And obviously, Harry Kane is always going to be the first person people are going to mention because of the failed attempt to get out of the club. But it's bigger than that. So what, He's do you just think they're still sulking with Pochettino going? And they've gone through Mourinho defensive, they've I, got I, Nuno. No, I don't think so. No, no I don't think it's that. Pochettino. No, I don't think it's Pochettino. You know what it's like as players. Yeah, of course you look back and go, I wish we kept so-and-so, I wish we just him as a manager. But, you know, you don't, you don't continuously sulk because a manager's left. What you're doing is you're going, okay, all right, who are you bringing in instead? And then you look at it and you go, okay, does he, does he even come close to what we had? Are we going to get better under this manager? 
Are we going to progress? Are we going to have any chance of winning something? And then you look at it, and I think Spurs, even if they, you know, even if you look at the first three games of the season, yeah, they were tough. I mean, Man City's performance was a good performance, right? I, I, it was take outstanding. My from, absolutely. Yeah. They worked incredibly hard. They it worked to a T. Um, <clears throat> the the actual but Nuno had done that with Wolves against Man City in the past as well. So you had the game uh, uh, plan down pat. Absolutely. So that worked fantastically, right? But but Spurs are not Wolves, right? So you you know you you look at a Spurs side and want to play attractive football. They demand it. The fans demand it. Everything demands about and then the way the team is set up is that they're there to play some decent football. Yes, you've got to play to your strengths. I just don't believe that. I think the players already have doubts about the manager. But Swartzy, this is my this is my argument. In them first few games, Son, Bergvan, Mora on the counter attack in the transition moments, it suited Spurs down to the ground. The three games that they were won. Once the injuries have hit, and Harry Kane's got to come back into that side, and you know the Lacelso is not the same player. Uh, it the dynamics of that system and the tactics is absolutely diluted. So he's got to come up with a different formula to suit the players at his disposal because it works when he has the players that he had early on in the season. Now he's got a complete loss and he's got to fit Harry Kane in there somewhere. Uh, and for me, it's not it doesn't work unless he's playing as that nine and he's got fast three fast players around him. Uh, absolutely. I'll, I'll so that's the key. Yeah, but also I agree with you, Swartz. I, th- I think it, it stems from from high up, uh, and I think we see it, it, it. You know, history tells us. Like we look at Arsenal, we look at you know the ownership, we look at Tottenham. I, I, I think the decisions that you know Levy and and, and other people in, in that boardroom have made has not served the club well. Uh, you know, I question if if you know Nuno, you know, is a it's a Mourinho two and did Mourinho work? No, you know, so I, I question you. We can always go down to the players and say, ultimately, they're on the pitch. They're the ones that has to, to win games and the manager as well. But, but over time, decisions made by ownership has a huge influence. Well, and I think go, that's, go, back to that's, that's, go back to that Mourinho situation, right? So, I mean, we, we talked about it in the previous podcast. You stack him six days before a cup final. That's what you brought yeah. him in for. You brought him in to win silverware. So that's a decision from above. I mean, it doesn't yeah. make any sense whatsoever. It didn't make any sense then. It doesn't make any sense today. So debate I, I, over. I just, You've I, just nailed it, boys. You've nailed it. The, the, yeah, the so, problem. The problem is rooted deeper than what it is to the players on the wasn't, park. Wasn't Nuno brought in for his attacking philosophy and desire to bring youth in? Wasn't that what Daniel Levy promised? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's, oh, what, that's what he promised. I was about Listen, to jump on you there. I was about can, to jump on Can we, can we move face, on? Thomas. You thought, what? what? Who, what's he talking about? Can we move on? Chelsea won 3-0. Yeah, I think on. you're going to do the quadruple or the treble. Well done. Let's move on. The only thing there is if people, if Tottenham want any, uh, fans want any hope, you can only look down the road where we sat here two weeks ago saying if Mikel Arteta does not watch over an Arsenal side that beats Norwich, he will be sacked. They've won two from two since then. They have to beat Norwich and Burnley, the Arsenal, but they have. And now the momentum has completely changed. Bridgie, you've said you think this is going to be Arsenal's game. What about yep. you two other boys on the weekend? Is this going to... Because remember as well, for manager of the month in August for Nuno, they lose 2-0 in this game. They go below Arsenal on the table. Uh, so We love football, gonna... don't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we get, it moves quickly. 
No, but I think, you know, you've put on the run sheet highs and lows from the weekend. Um, you know, I oh, think that run sheet's gone. We've blown that out. Yeah, yeah, no, but I, I, <laughs> sorry, I, you know, Arsenal, uh, I think they were one of them. I, you know, it's a tough place to go. We've questioned, you know, the spine, you know, the, you know, the resilience uh, and, and to go to Burnley and, you know, to, to grind out a result. Um, you know, I think it, it's, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. It, are they fluent, amazing to watch at the moment? Mm. Possibly not, but you've got to start somewhere. Uh, and I think, that obviously, uh, Bridget, I think you mentioned, you know, some of the players that have come back. I think Gabriel uh, at the back. And, and, you know, we've got to give, you know, Ramsdale a bit of credit. Two clean sheets as well in, in goal. So that was a big decision mm-hmm. to drop Leno. Mm-hmm. Gabriel and um, White so- look the best centre partnership out of the lot. Um, in, and it's proved that. He, he changed it three times in three matches. The last two games, he stuck with it. The players understand their rules, Tommy. Totally agree. Yeah, and, and Odegaard, I think, has also made a difference. So, you know, we've got to give them time. And I think it's another big test against uh, Tottenham. Uh, you know, again, you know, they're, they're, you know, what direction you want your season to take. I think that game uh, has huge importance. So, so, you know, I can't wait for it. What about Chelsea against Manchester City? We've got it taken a while to get into Manchester City. Nil against Southampton. It's pretty hard to fathom. Southampton were incredible in the amount of effort and energy they put into that game to get that nil result. But Matt, this is six weeks into the season, 9.30 p.m. Saturday night. Schwartzy, um, I know it's early in the week, so it's a bit early to be previewing it, but off the back of everything we've spoken about, oh, this is just such a such a massive game. And, um, geez, Manchester City have a bit of work to do to, uh, to improve and match Chelsea's levels. They do. Um, absolutely. And let's not forget, Thomas Tuchel has it, has it over uh, Pep Guardiola, doesn't he? He has something over him. He knows how to beat his sides. I, I mean, listen, I, listen I don't, it's not a one-sided game. It's not a – you can't write Manchester City off. Yes, they're having problems up front. Were they lacking the weekend? Incredibly. Uh, I don't get the decision about overturning the penalty decision. I get, I totally get the decision about the red card because it was a mistake from the referee, John Mosh, to give a penalty and a red card because it's double jeopardy. It can't happen anymore. So that makes sense to me. Was it a clear and obvious mistake? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think they're the decision that could be a penalty, not a penalty, right? So Man City's season could have been far worse. Or certainly the game could have been far worse for them. Um, but you don't write them off. I mean, Chelsea, yes, on form, you look at it. It's like it's like saying what you're saying there. Bridgie was saying about Arsenal being favourites against Tottenham, fancy Arsenal. In the, in all the derbies, you can never you can never go into it thinking that one just because on their form is going to necessarily win it. I, I always find that the derbies you can throw form out the window, and it depends. You know, you will see with Spurs that they'll show up on paper. Spurs for me are a better side than than Arsenal on paper. That's one thing you know. But even with the injuries another. that even with the injuries and suspension that Spurs have got at this moment in time. Yeah, even if, even with that, I still think they're a better side than, than Arsenal. It's just they're not playing anywhere near it at the moment. They're not they're not showing it, you know. Um, with Chelsea, yeah, uh, Chelsea is certainly playing a lot better than Manchester City at the moment. Um, and Manchester City may, I think they're already they're already um, um, paying for not, for not bringing in an out and out striker. I mean, you know, Pep said it himself. You know, it was my mistake. You know, I should have brought in another striker, and he hasn't. I mean. He hasn't. I mean, I'd like him. I'd like to see him after the Champions League final come out and say I made a mistake by not playing Rodri or uh, or um, um, Fernandinho. Geez, what's his name? Yeah, he's more. He's Sorry? more. He's, he is more yeah, stubborn Fernandinho than my or, wife. Or, or, 
or, or Rodri, yeah. But you know what I'm saying? You know, I mean, he, he admits he's made a mistake about the not bringing a striker, which you know you can't do anything about, and it's kind of out of his hands. But with the final, it was in his hands to make the right decision, and it's the only game all season he leaves out one of his defensive holding midfielders. Anyway, I'm, I'm well, digressing a little bit, but you know, Man City are potentially still could turn it around in, a, in, a, in an instant. I still think Chelsea would be five points clear of City after they get this win. Yeah, well, and on that, on that note of this, of Pip saying I was wrong, has was he wrong with what he said about the fans, or has he been wildly taken on a media ride? Because if you remember, what he was calling for was for fans oh, to come to Southampton yeah. <laughs> on the weekend where they yeah. needed a bit more energy, and in the end, he was actually right about that. But the whole thing has become Pep against the fans, and that's become a massive distraction at the same time. You know, I, you know, I think people, you know, we would. It was the same media. He was being put through that, and all, that was about obviously his tactics, and you know, has his time, you know, uh, and found out, and you know, can he renew himself, and all this, and you know, the the papers are looking for it you know, in a good manner. I don't think he was he was in what he said, and. It sort of get turned into a, a bit of a him versus the fans, and which I don't think it was ever the intention. And you know, uh, uh, the fans love him, and well, they'll keep loving. So you say, Tommy did make that previously. I've heard him. Uh, I think it was last season or the year before. Again, crying out for fans to come to the stadium for one of their games in 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 Europe. And you know, it, it's definitely come from up above. He's got sucked in by somebody at the club saying we need to get some more bums on seats. I don't think he's bothered how many people turn up as long as his team are performing and I, I feel for him he's got sucked into this this a bit, a bit of crap that he doesn't he doesn't need all right bridgie's gone chelsea you are the two uh you know i would hope man city uh just to spice it up a little bit <laughs> uh you know also for for this uh sort of bad run uh that you know the bad form against chelsea just to you know to give uh pep one back and uh just to yeah, just put a little bit of doubt in Tuchel's mind. I think that that would be good for the league. Shorty, well, would it be good for the league? No, it wouldn't be good. For, it'd be great for Chelsea. Oh, come on, come on. Of course, I mean, I, I obviously want Chelsea to win. Um, uh, but I, by the same token, I, I don't want to see it be a one a one team race throughout the course of the season. I, I, we don't want to see a Liverpool or a, or a Man City. Um, of of a couple of seasons ago, running away of it. You want to see a tight, even. I think we want to. I, what I really want to see is I want to see a really hotly hotly contested uh, title right down on the wire, which then Chelsea win. Stop sitting on the fence. Who's going to win this game? Uh, I'm, I'm, I've just said Man City. Yeah, I'm on about Sporty. Okay. Chelsea. Chelsea's going to win. Chelsea, right. Good man. Yeah. So here's one for you. If Man City lose to Chelsea this weekend, then they lose to Liverpool the weekend after. Are they out the title race? No. No. <laughs> Not nah, at all. No. Nah. Even no. Even if remember they, how low they were after eight matches last week. Go nah. Even if they go eight points behind you, right? nah. okay, fair enough. Maybe I'm looking. Maybe I'm looking too far. Easily. A massive so many few games weeks. to go. There's so many games to go. They've done it. They've done it before in the past, and, yeah. and they're more than capable of doing it again. Oh, and good. You watch. Wait. Wait until January as well. January is a big, big month for so many reasons. Obviously, if the African nations go ahead as well, Liverpool are going to lose Mane and 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 uh, Salah. That's good. How, how do you how do you compensate for that? Well, you don't. You don't. So that's going to be a big month. Then Manchester City, do they go out and buy a striker? Do they go and spend the money in, in January? That may well happen. 
Um, you know, so I, I think there's a big, big month coming up uh, in January, big moment of the season where, you know, could really change things. And you even look at, uh, you mentioned the title race being, you know, Chelsea potentially running, going five points clear. Don't forget how tight it is with Manchester United and Liverpool. Manchester United play Aston Villa oh, yeah. at the same time as Chelsea against Manchester City. And then later on in the night, uh, Liverpool go to Brentford. It's 2.30 a.m. Sunday morning, of course, before, you know, 24 hours later, your week starts on Monday, uh, 1.30 a.m. with the North London Derby. So a bit early in the week to be thinking about next week, but geez, there's a lot to look forward to. But there's genuinely four, if not five teams that are potentially going to win the league. I mean, even if Chelsea do go five points ahead of Manchester City, it's irrelevant at this stage. I mean, it's great to be in that position, of course, but I mean, Liverpool, Man United, Man City, Chelsea, any one of those four are going to win the league, I believe. I don't think there's anyone. I said four to five. I, I think it's four. I think it's out of those four teams. And I think that's what makes it exciting this season is that genuinely there that any of the, any one of those four teams can win it. Yeah, I agree. Totally. Totally. Hey, one last one before we end off. It's a quirky one to end off with, um, and it's been a riveting damn chat as ever, guys. Um, but I want to take you to Germany because I know, Schwartz, you're very keen on this one. And um, it's Julian Nagelsmann. This came out of, I mean, this was just came out of left field during the week where he said, American football is much more technologically advanced than our football. The quarterback has an earpiece to his coach. We absolutely need that. Football must stop hiding behind tradition and revolutionize itself. You want you want earpieces to your manager in, in your ears and goals? You, you might go mad. No, I, I I think it's a lot of rubbish. I mean, I, listen, I I get listen. I, I think the, the the any of these suggestions it's a bit like again. I'm going to digress a little bit. Arsene Wenger saying have the World Cup every two years. What we need is debate. We we need to have a conversation about how we can improve the game. Put things out there. Have a conversation about. It, but I don't think it's for football. I really don't. Putting an earpiece in players' ears. No, I, I think American football is one thing. Um, you know, it's it's Listen, it's had to how, find ways. Of how being much easier? Is the only place in the world that plays it. How much easier is it to put an earpiece in a helmet as opposed to putting an earpiece Absolutely. in an ear and you get a ball kicked at your ear and the earpiece ends up going Absolutely. into the side of your skull? Seriously? Yeah, but yeah, but also there's there's fundamental. You know, the, where where the quote is totally off uh, is that uh, there's fundamental differences between the games where you know I, I'm a, I'm a big American fan, football yeah. fan and. Uh, you know, it's a stop start. It's it's play by play. So you, so you have to give instructions between every play where football is. I, I think Nagelsmann has been playing too much FIFA. I think he he wants the joystick out there and controlling <laughs> controlling the players. I think that's that's his problem. Can you imagine uh, that, Tommy? You, <laughs> I mean, I'm thinking myself as an attacking player, and I'm going up against a one v one situation. I've got the Nagelsmann here. Do the Maradona spin turn. Do a step over. I'm like, oh, oh God, God. Could, <laughs> could you imagine about about that having that 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 uh, attempt for players to express themselves? That, that goes out the window. You, you just does. become mechanical. So uh, here's one for you, just to finish off on this whole debate about me and Tommy played under Peter Reed. The last thing I would want is Peter Reed with an earpiece in my ear so I could hear what he was saying. There was another guy in the A League was Gary oh. Van Egmont. Gary Van Egmont commentated the whole game. He shouted and bawled at everybody, and it was absolutely brilliant because me and Ryan Griffiths would go and stand on the opposite side of the field away from the bench just so we couldn't hear him. And Griff was actually playing on the right wing at the time, and he came and played left wing, and he was like, I've got to get away from him. So if you put See, an earpiece in me with managers like that, no thank you, mate. No, but how oh. would it be? You could say it wasn't working. You could be like, what? 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 Yeah, what? yeah, no. Could you imagine? Well, like, I mean, I you you only have him as a manager, right? I play with Gary Redegmont. I had him as a teammate. Him and John Paul De Marini. Can you imagine having those two in your side at the same time? I mean, like, honestly, the two of them, Jesus, they would not stop. You could John have two earpieces, one on each of them. <laughs> oh, oh my God! I mean, listen. I mean, the fiery characters. Um, 
And Mr. Squiggle was his nickname, Gary Van Egmont. So, no uh, way. He, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was his nickname. Oh, that's so, outstanding. Five years too late on that, yeah, PG. Yeah. That would have been good intel. That would have been a good one, intel. I'll, I'll score. Don't worry. Yeah. I'll get that around Newcastle. <laughs> exactly. But Dave, Dave, just just to be be serious about Bring it, some I, I think back to us to end the podcast, yeah, please. No, I, I, oh, Tommy, I please. Think, I think fundamentally, you know, you got to look at other sports. You got to try to obviously invent. When we were, you know, Swartz gave a fantastic uh, talk about, you know, obviously what FIFA is trying to do with the World Cup and 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 what Wenger is doing to try to you know, reinvent the game. And, and I sort of get where he's coming from. I, you know, I know a lot of the coaches go to America and, and study the, the training methods, the, you know, all the, the video equipment and, and all these things. Uh, but I think this is, you know, I think uh, this comment is, <laughs> has gone a little bit too far. I don't think it would ever work in, in football like we've just uh, talked about. And managers are always coming up with ideas, Dave. Uh, and, you know, Gareth Southgate for England, when he went over to check out the NBA, uh, and how they actually make that little yard of space mm. to get that free player to get a shot um, into the basket when there's a clinical moments. So he went and, and analysed that just to get the blocking situation going. You know, things like that work when you can put it into a place in your industry, in your game. And he saw that from set players. He wanted to work on different things. And we saw that in the World Cup, how England was so dynamic from that situation. So that's something where you can go, yes, he's thought about it, he's taken it, and he's thought, how can I put this into our game? With the Nagelsmann one, I understand they the love technology. They want to have this, how we, how can we find the biggest pockets of space? Um, that's, the, that's the latest thing that people are trying to do. They've got all these top gurus from around the world trying to come up with a, a system which I've seen fundamentally work and where it always shows and highlights the biggest pockets of space on the field at one moment in time. Uh, and I mean, that is unbelievable technology. But to think about wearing an earpiece in a game, I think it's very, very dangerous. And I thought it was a, a, a silly comment from such a, an inspiring manager. I, I actually think it'd be not only for those reasons, for all those reasons, I, I agree with you, but also you'd lose all the tantrums on the sideline from the managers. There wouldn't be as anywhere near as animated or anything like that. It would be so boring watching them sitting in a box or sitting on the bench and not even actually breaking a sweat because they'd be just talking down an earpiece. Nah, yeah, but you'd love it. to see one of them throw the, throw the walkie-talkie or throw the earpiece down at the player who hasn't listened to him because, you know, he's got no excuse then. i tell you what, the only thing I'll say is someone like Nagelsmann to have got to where he's got to in his 20s and now obviously in his early 30s, he's always been a step ahead. So it's really interesting yep. to see how far ahead he is thinking in terms of his innovation, because for him to get to where he's... Well, he's to, renowned for he it, isn't he? He's renowned for it in Germany. Yeah, he was renowned for it in Germany. And that, hence the reason, obviously, he's got to where he has uh, in such a short period of time. Um, so highly regarded. And, and listen, we, we talked about it earlier on, I think, about the, the, the way that Nagelsmann has started his time at Bayern pre-season, didn't win a single game. And since then... You know they've come into the Bundesliga and 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 their timing has been perfect and they've been been brilliant. Mm. You yeah. want to just to give you an insight of what I've been doing at the edge with Eagles, uh, Mister Weiner. We a few of the players have been wearing GPS units and what I've done with one of the players, he give the ball away so many times. I put in a little one of these dog zapping things that you can do to train your dogs, and I put it. And every time you give the ball away, I'd press it. You did and give it. Him an electric you really done shock. No, I didn't, mate. But I really That's wanted brilliant. to. If I was did. thinking ahead of the game <laughs> every time. So if he gives a ball away, he's going to get electric shock. So there you go. There's, yeah, there's ways we can second. try and implicate things, but I, I didn't have the courage to do that one as yet. 
Good stuff. Good stuff, gents. Well, you mentioned the Bundesliga sports. We've had that on the rundown for the last three weeks, but we've talked so much about all, all these other interesting topics. We will get to it at some point, but um, my goodness, uh, lots to talk about as ever. Thank you for your time, guys. Great to see you as ever. Bridgie, you'll be on Premier League today on Optus Sport at 7 p.m. Tuesday. If you're listening to this before that, crossing into the UK, look forward to seeing that. And the two of you will look forward to chatting next time. Been great fun as always. And uh, yeah, brilliant insights. Love every second. Great debate, lads. Thanks for the insight on the penalties. Um, Dave Wiener and myself thoroughly enjoyed that. I'm going Good to the to garden now. Always, I'm going to kick, I'm gonna kick <laughs> the ball against the wall and try and save him and outsmart myself. Enjoy. <laughs> Cheers, guys. <laughs> to everyone out there as ever, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did today. And until the next episode of The Gagan Pod, enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.